0: a KQED-HD production. You can't see it, or hear it, or even feel it, but all over the Bay Area, it's happening. Slowly, very slowly, along with all the Earth's oceans, San Francisco Bay is rising. The rise in sea level will affect everyone in the decades ahead who lives, works, or plays near the bay. Airport runways already are at, or just a few feet above, sea level now, as are many freeways, schools, hospitals, and homes. Scientists already know why it's happening, it's one of the most apparent impacts of climate change. The only real questions are how much it will rise and how fast. We don't
1: have a perfect crystal ball vision of the future. Scientists believe, with a great deal of evidence, that sea level is going up and that it's going up increasingly quickly at an exponential rate. It could be as little as, and this is still a lot, 5 to 10 to 15 more inches over the next century. and it could be 60 feet over the next century. Now that, that would be a catastrophe, and we don't expect that yet. But the truth is even the best estimates are estimates that are gonna cause us serious, serious problems. For people who make their homes in
0: Elviso, a tiny working class community that hugs the bay and San Jose's northern edges, coping with high water is almost second nature. Elviso is kind of tucked into a marsh at the south end of San Francisco Bay. I'm walking by the South Bay Yacht Club here, and I'm looking more or less in the second story windows. That's because the only thing separating the town from the bay is this levee I'm walking on. In fact, most of the town sits 13 feet below sea level. Retired Fire Captain Dick Santos is chairman of the Santa Clara Valley Water District Board. He was born and still lives in Alviso, and like many longtime residents here, he's lost his home three times.
2: I remember my mother rushing into the bedroom saying, come on, we gotta get up, get in the dump truck, we all gotta take each other out of here, get your stuff in, belongings, and it was, uh, the water was coming. We left by dump truck uh, in 1955, and of course, 1958 was very devastating. Then 83, it was the worst flood we ever had.
0: Alviso is a predominantly Hispanic community. Many here are out of work. They're among a kind of climate-sensitive class among Californians, more likely to be without cars, speak little or no English, and live in neighborhoods at
1: risk. It raises issues of environmental justice. Within the Bay, more people that are low-income communities of color, minority communities, are at risk from sea level rise than elsewhere in California. Scientists say the link between sea level rise and global warming is
0: beyond dispute. Tidal gauges show San Francisco Bay has already risen eight inches since 1900. But predicting exactly how much more the seas will rise and by when is more elusive. It depends in large part on how much more carbon humans pump into the atmosphere.
3: There's always uh, solar radiation coming in, and there's also radiation going back out. Um, As we've increased the greenhouse gas concentrations, there's been more coming in than going out because we've been trapping it with the greenhouse gases. This results in things warming up. As the oceans warm up, the seawater actually expands as it gets warmer, and this leads to a rise in sea level.
0: And as continued climate change shrinks glaciers and melts polar ice, that too adds volume to the oceans. But again, how fast and
1: how much are hard to predict? The biggest uncertainty is what happens with ice that's sitting on land right now. When you add an ice cube to a glass of water, the level of the water goes up. As you add ice that's sitting on land to the oceans, the level of the oceans goes up. And the problem is there's a lot of ice sitting on land. Another major concern, how will
0: global warming combine with more familiar forces of nature? Most coastal areas experience two high tides a day. When those high tides come in just after a new or full moon, they're even higher. If there's a powerful Pacific storm behind them, they're higher still.
3: This pushes water into the bay. Also, atmospheric pressure drops during these storms, so the weight of the atmosphere on the the water is reduced, and the water rises as a result. When we have a big El Nino, uh, it temporarily raises water levels along the coast of California, and that raises water levels in the bay as well. So when you put all these together, if they were to all happen at once, you can have a really high event.
0: Scientists are working with a range of scenarios to see how high that might be. In 2009, the Maine State Agency regulating development around the bay released a report showing that the bay could rise by 20 to 55 inches by 2100. Those estimates are based on studies by scientists at the Scripps Institution of Oceanography, the California EPA, and other institutions. Noah Knowles from the USGS says credible, though less likely, scenarios could be as high as 80 inches by 2100. Treasure Island is just barely above sea level as it is, and we're just about at high tide here. Now, 20 inches of sea level rise doesn't look like much. We're really talking about something Oh, about up to my knee, I suppose. But remember, that's an average. But now let's talk about 80 inches of sea level rise. That's my full height plus another foot on top of that. At that point, you've got not only problems for a place like Treasure Island, but the stage is set for serious problems all around the bay. As one defense against sea level rise, scientists are studying the wetlands that ring the San Francisco Bay.
2: We collect along a gradient from the edge of the bay all the way back
0: to the... Upper. They act as a kind of sponge, a physical buffer, as long as the amount of sediment they accumulate keeps up with the rate of sea level rise. That's what the University of San Francisco's John Calloway has been studying here at China Camp on the Marin County shore.
2: Now we're just gonna insert this um, coring tube into the ground.
0: Callaway is taking samples of sediment.
2: You can go back over longer time periods and get an idea of what sea level rise has been by seeing how how the marshes have changed over time. After we've divided each section, then we take the samples back to the lab. We weigh them. We also look at the texture in each of the different sections and see if there's been any change in the characteristics of the sediment over time. So we're trying to evaluate how quickly these systems accumulate sediment and how they keep pace with sea level rise. And if they don't keep up, what are we looking at? If they don't keep up, then what we're looking at is the bay, the the, the edge of the bay, instead of being way out at the edge of the marsh, being right on the edge of the uplands. In the South Bay and the Central Bay, all of the existing marshes are surrounded by development, and so we will have the bay edge right on the edge of all those developments and much greater flood risks.
0: Some Bay Area communities are starting to take action which they're finding out means unprecedented cooperation between overlapping jurisdictions and competing interests along the shore.
1: And basically what we're talking about is these are all public agencies, so this is what we're dealing with in terms of getting some kind of uniformity of approach on this problem.
0: The Hayward Area Shoreline Planning Agency, or HASPA, combining the city of Hayward and two park districts, is concerned with just seven miles of East Bay shoreline
1: every one of these different agencies wants to see their part of this puzzle protected haspa has commissioned a
0: study to see how it can best plan for the multitude of issues it faces with the expected rise in sea level
1: we have the water treatment plant ponds related to the hayward shoreline pg e transmission lines to super sewer
0: mike anderson took us out to the shoreline with jeremy Lowe. As head of the HASPA study, Lowe had to find common ground among various stakeholders.
3: There's too much inertia in the system already. So cities and and other agencies are going to have to adapt their shorelines. And how they do that is going to depend on where they are in the bay. If you're out on the open coast, then you're going to be looking at how you're going to manage your beaches. If you're up in the delta area, then you're going to have to understand how the levees and the, the channel system is going to react to sea level rise.
0: Broadly speaking, there are two general approaches to rising sea levels. This broken up concrete all along here, what they call riprap, is kind of a low-tech example of a hard solution. Create a barrier, build a seawall or a levee. Then over on this side would be an example of a soft solution. This tidal marshland here, just kind of let it go and do its job, if necessary, take that development up there and move it back a little bit so you have a natural sponge to sort of soak up the advancing water. The remedies will be expensive. Investing in levees to keep the shoreline where it is will cost money. It will cost even more to move existing infrastructure away from the bay. And at a time when public funds are drying up,
1: it'll also take political will. The economic costs are going to be huge. It's going to cost tens of billions of dollars a year to build and maintain protective structures around infrastructure that already exists. Planners agree that key parts of the Bay
0: Area are already at risk. Both the San Francisco and Oakland airports, miles of freeway built virtually at sea level, housing developments in Foster City, Hunters Point and Alameda, and San Francisco's Treasure Island, where plans are already underway to build a development with thousands of homes, retail stores, and entertainment venues all on a man-made island.
1: I think that that shows where the flooding
0: will be. It was on Treasure Island in December of 2009 where Governor Schwarzenegger called on a cash-strapped California to look to the future. If reducing carbon emissions, or Plan A, fails to slow down global warming, he said it's time to start work on Plan B, building infrastructure that would help protect Californians from rising sea levels.
1: You know, I normally never make a Plan B. Uh, because then you start concentrating on that, not really on plan A. Uh, but in this case, I think we have the responsibility to have a plan B.
0: Pacific Institute's maps show what could happen if global warming continues, sea levels rise, and there is no plan B in place.
1: So here are a whole bunch of schools at risk, all of which will either have to be moved or protected. Wetlands, healthcare facilities marked by these little icons and then EPA-regulated sites, this is the true nightmare, and nice and yellow. Turns out we dumped a lot of bad stuff around the margins of the bay, and as sea level goes up, they're at risk of inundation, and they're at risk of moving the contaminated wastes into the waters of the bay.
0: Creative minds from around the globe are working on the problem. Recently, the San Francisco Bay Conservation and Development Commission organized a competition looking for innovative solutions to sea level rise in the Bay Area. 130 entries from 18 countries sketched out ideas for a Plan B. All of this has its
1: place, says Peter Glick, but it would be a mistake to forget about Plan A. If we don't get our act together, if we don't do things to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, we're going to reach a meter of sea level rise or more by the end of the century, and it's going to be growing even faster than it is now. Where we get to at the end of the century is going to depend on actions that California or the United States or ultimately the whole globe takes to reduce the rate of greenhouse gas emissions, to reduce the rate of climate change.